What would be your favorite topic? If you came to church and you said, this is my favorite topic, would it be faith? Would it be prayer? Would it be the miracles? Would it be healing? Uh, what would be your favorite topic that, that God has hope for you? We all have favorite topics. I don't know that this morning's topic is going to be your favorite. Uh, again, I wasn't at the meeting where they assigned the assignments on the Let's Be Honest. So they gave me sex. They gave me alcohol. And today we have money. So they gave me all the good ones. And all those guys are now fired. They're no longer employed at Harborside. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They think it's funny, and it is. But I, I'm honored to be a part of this, and so we're going to tackle this this morning. This may not have been Jesus' favorite topic, but he talked about money more than any other topic. 16 out of the 33 parables in the Bible, Jesus talked about our stuff. There's 2,000. 350 verses on money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell, faith, prayer combined. Why? Why did Jesus talk about money so much? If Jesus was your preacher, every third Sunday, Jesus would have a message about stuff. And so I, I didn't know this in our research. There's actually 29 different topics that deal with money. If you look throughout those 2,350 verses, you can squeeze all 2,350 verses into these 29 topics. Take a good look at this for just a minute. You want to be successful? Read the Bible. You want to learn how to overcome challenges? Read the Bible. The Bible is all for you. The Bible has great things in store for you. 29 amazing topics. Did you know that co-signing was in the Bible? Did you know that retirement, there's only one verse, is actually in the Bible? Did, did you realize that all these different things, bribes, budgeting, investing, coveting, lending, inheritance, honesty, taxes, taxes are coming up. It's all in the scriptures, isn't it? It's fascinating. And so Jesus would take those topics and he would tell stories. He just taught with story after story after story. And so we all know the story of the rich young ruler, and the guy comes to Jesus, you know, and what must I do to inherit eternal life, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we know the story of the rich young ruler, and, and did, it, did it end well for the rich young ruler? How'd that story end? None of you went to Sunday school, okay? It ended poorly for him, didn't it? And then we know the story of Zacchaeus, greedy little tax collector, wasn't he? Greedy little man up in the sycamore tree. And, and Jesus stopped and looked up and said, hey, I must stay at your house today. And that ended what? That ended well, didn't it? We all know the story of the widow. It's kind of weird, but <clears throat> apparently Jesus is watching people give their offering. He's just like, you know, there's the basket, and he's just like staring, you know, and, and he's looking at it. I'd be so awkward. I don't even know what you give, and I don't want to do that. But Jesus is just looking. And the widow gave, you know, her two mites. She gave all that she had. We know the story of the parable, the talents. One talent, two talent, five talent. So true, and everybody fits into that category. And Jesus told a story about the parable of the talents and how, how to, you're to use your talents. He tells the story about the unjust manager. It's one of my favorite stories because it took me 20 years to understand it. And this unjust manager is ripping off his boss, and Jesus commends him. Not because he's dishonest, 
but because he learned how to leverage money. And so Jesus just tells story after story after story. And so again, there's 2,350 verses. How many verses are there? There's 2,350 verses. How many verses are there? 2,350 verses. And they all squeeze into those 29 different categories. The story I want to start with this morning, though, is about a farmer. And the farmer, and when you read the story, it's a good story, and there's nothing wrong with the story. And you're going, well, why is he telling this story? Because this, you want the farmer to be successful. You want the ground to be good. You want the soil to be good. You want him to have a good crop. And yet Jesus then lands at a place a little differently than what most of us perhaps would think. So he tells us in Luke chapter 12. And by the way, this morning, there's a whole lot in this today. If you're new to church, get something. Say it with me. Get something. Don't try to get everything. Today's way too much information. Just get something. So if you've got a phone, all this is in your phone on the Harborside app. You can download it, and it's all there. But the ground of a certain rich man, this is Jesus, yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, I mean, that's good. We want that. If you're a farmer, you want to have an abundant harvest, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. Every farmer wants to have high yields. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. Again, so far, nothing wrong. If you've got a lot of grain and you've only got so many silos, it's time for you to build some more silos or build some more barns. But here's where the problem begins. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's where he slides into a little bit of danger. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. It's very interesting. So there's, there's a stewardship principle on your life. It's like the parable of the talents. Remember the guy with one talent? What did he do with the talent? He went and he bit it. He buried it. He hid it in the ground. There is a, a, a request of God for you to steward what you have in your life. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, why did that story get told? What's the context of that story? It just, it just pops out of nowhere. Well, here's what happens. Jesus is walking through the crowd, and somebody says, hey, I have a problem with my brother. Parents have died. Now there's an inheritance, and he won't split the inheritance with me. Here's where the story begins. So now we got this. We're going to go back about three verses and see the context of this story. So Luke chapter 12, look at that, 16 through 21. Now we're going to be in Luke 16, 13, and 14. So go backwards. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Well, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? And then Jesus said this, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, when I read that story, and I've read that verse, I thought there was only one kind of greed. And my biggest revelation in the last three weeks of studying this is I had no idea that there were multiple kinds of greed. Notice it's plural. He says, watch out, be on your guard against what? All kinds, plural. There's an S on the end of it. 
And so I always read this story and I thought, well, greedy people have just too much stuff. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that that could be a form of greed, but he's also saying there's a lot more forms of greed. And so because there's 29 topics and I've never spoken on greed before, I want to I ease into this this morning. I never thought I was greedy. That's not one of my goals is to have more and more possessions. But as the course of the last three weeks, I began to realize that there are certain compartments inside of our hearts where greed is insidious and greed can, can land and greed can camp out. I had no idea there were multiple forms of greed. I just thought it was people who stockpiled their stuff were greedy. That's not at all the only part. And so I want you to read this today and follow along with me today and ask yourself, am I greedy? And my answer is yes, you probably are. Maybe not in this way, but you've probably never really thought through this before, or maybe you're way ahead of me. I've never thought through this before. I never realized there were multiple forms of greed, and greed is insidious, and it hides in a little compartment inside of your heart, and it rears its ugly head from time to time. It's really hard to see, but it's not hard to hear or to smell when it comes out. So what does it mean to be greedy? Well, greedy people not only want something, but they go too far to get it. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting things? No. Should you want things? Yes. Should you want to get better? Yes. Should you want to improve your lot in life? Yes. Should you become a great investor? Yes. Should you become a great worker? Yes. Should you? Yes. 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 The problem with greed is what? Going too far. Going too far. Lying about something deceiving someone to get something. The problem is not wanting something. The problem is I'm willing to take a shortcut to get something. The problem is I'm willing to do something that I'm not really comfortable with. I really know better, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it will be a great result. So greedy people not only want something, but they, they go too far to get it. There's nothing wrong with wanting things. God placed those desires within us. I mean, let's be honest. We started off in a garden. We started off in a flawless garden. And all of us long for the garden again. So it's not wrong to want something. It's just wrong to go too far to get it. Greedy people do everything they can to get out of work. Kind of the opposite of workaholics. Here are people that are lazy. Lazy people really are greedy. They want you to work, and they want to reap the benefits of what you have done. Greedy people think life is all about them. This is the arrogance. I've earned it. I'm entitled to it. We're going to talk in just a minute about who really owns anything. But greedy people think life is about them. Greedy people have strong opinions about issues but expect others to shoulder the burdens. You heard those comments and opinions? They want everybody else to shoulder it. But they got strong opinions on what ought to be, what we should do. This is what, what should happen. But they're not willing to pay the price to make a difference. Greedy people are first in line to ask for more, <clears throat> but last in line to work to earn the rewards. Greedy people look for clever ways to outsmart rules and regulations. And so the problem with this, this is why Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
I've read that a hundred times, never saw the plurality, never realized that there's multiple forms of greed. Just thought there was one, and I missed it. There's a context here. So why is this a big deal to Jesus? Because you'll be entrapped. You'll be enslaved. You won't sleep through the nights. You'll have to drink two glasses of wine every night just to go to sleep. Why? Why does he want you to be free from this? Because he has great things in store for you to do. He has great things in store for you to be. And so greed is insidious. It just begins to grow. It can grow and can grow. This is what Paul says. He says, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because these are just improper for God's holy people. For of you this can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. Now that's confusing. How is greed equal to idolatry? Well, the point is, your heart only has room enough for one God. And you have to choose what's going to be on the throne of your heart. And this is why Jesus said you can't serve God in money. Because there's only room in your heart for what? For one God. There's only room for one God. Colossians says the same thing. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So you and I have to put greed to death. If we don't put greed to death, greed's going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And before long, all you're thinking about is money. All you're thinking about is how much things cost. All you're thinking about is what if I lose it? All you're thinking about is I'll take a great risk to gain more. If you're not careful, if you don't put this to death, it will put you to death. Put to death. Idolatry. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories, is what he says. So there's this incredible story in 2 Kings. And there's a guy named Naaman. And Naaman is a Syrian who has leprosy. And Naaman is the commander of the armies of Syria. He's like the secretary of defense. He's a number two guy. He's a stud. He's amazing. But he's got leprosy. And he has a a servant in his household who says to him, she actually is Jewish. And she is not in Syria. I mean, she's in Syria. She's not in Israel. She's in Syria. And she's in his household. And she said, look, there is a prophet in Israel who can help you. His name is Elisha. Go see Elisha. He will tell you what to do. So Naaman then, I'm picturing like a hundred chariots, soldiers. Naaman's a stud. He gets there to Elisha's house, a long, long walkway, and he's, you know, sending his servant up to the door. The servant knocks on the door and says, hey, Elisha, Naaman is here. Naaman has leprosy. Will you come out and heal him? And Elisha doesn't even get up out of the chair inside the house. He says, look, go tell Naaman to go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and he'll be healed of leprosy. Doesn't even get up and go talk to him. And Naaman is ticked. How in the world could you be so insensitive? I've traveled all this distance, and you're not even going to get up and come out and greet me? And so Naaman just, you know, drives off in his chariots, mad as a hornet. And um, 
one of the servants of, of Naaman said to him as they're driving off, he says, um, you know, what have you got to lose? If he'd asked you to do something really hard, you know, w- would you have done it? Well, master, let's try this. Let's, let's go to the Jordan River. Let's have you dunk yourself seven times. And so he does. And he comes up clean. There's no leprosy in him. Well, now Naaman wants to pay Elisha. And Elisha says, nope, I don't need it. Nope, not today. And we don't really picture these people being wealthy, but Elisha was loaded. He's got his own house. He's got his own servants. I don't know why we always picture them poor as church mice, but they're not. And so Elisha's like, no, not, not today. That's where we pick up the story. So here's the story. Go in peace, Elisha said. And after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself. So Gehazi is Elisha's servant. Now the man of God said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. What's going through Gehazi's mind? I'm going to get something from him. I am going to go too far. I'm going to lie, I'm going to steal, I'm going to cheat, I'm going to do whatever I can, I'm going to get something from him. And by the way, the worst leaders in the world are always people who want something from people and not something for people. If you can set a principle in your life that you will live every day not trying to get something from people, but always having something for people, God can use you. Greedy people always want something what? from you. They never have something for you. So who are you? Are you a giver or are you a taker? So here we go. My master was too easy on on him by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I will get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Oh, everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, is that true? No, his master doesn't even know what's going on. His master didn't say anything about this. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Naaman doesn't know what's going on. He just got healed of leprosy. This is like, you know, the best day of his life, right? So Naaman says, by all means, take not one, but take two. And he urged Gehazi to accept them, and he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, now here's what you got to do when you take things from people. Here's what you have to do when you're greedy. You have to cover it up. You have to deceive people. You have to lie, deceive, cover up, go around them. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in his house. Why did he put them away? Because he knew he was being dishonest. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha, he said, Where have you been, Gehazi? Um, um, well, I went down to Starbucks. I got a frappuccino. I got, you know, a bagel, some cream cheese. I, I didn't go anywhere. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? In other words, my spirit was in you telling you the right thing to do. You know what you'll have to do as a believer to be greedy? You'll have to fight the Holy Spirit. You'll have to resist the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit's always telling you not to be greedy. The Holy Spirit never leads you to greed. If you're going to be greedy, you'll have to fight and work against the Holy Spirit. Was not my spirit with you when this man got down from the chariot to meet you? Is this a time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or male or female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. See, the problem with greed, the price is always too high. The price of greed is always higher than it's worth. And now the guy's got leprosy. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. No wonder Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against what? All kinds. I never saw that until three weeks ago. Never saw the S. Read over that verse a hundred times. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Well, so what do we do? How do we break greed? It's not enough just to say, I won't be greedy, I won't be greedy, I won't be greedy. You have to have a different mindset. I I think the way you break greed is your head and your heart. Let me start with your head first of all. Everybody in this room fits into one of three categories. There's one talent people, there's two talent people, and there's five talent people. And there's nothing wrong with being any of those. It's how God made you. There's a lane for you to run in, and you are a one talent, you are a two talent, or you are a five talent. The problem is when you try to be something you're not. You can be a five-talent person in this room and never be content, never be satisfied, always looking to the right, always seeing who has more. That's not your lane. God has created you. God has wired you. God has positioned you. God has opened up opportunities for you. And everybody in the room is in a lane. Run outside your lane and you will be entrapped, enslaved, not sleep well, and you'll not fulfill the purpose God has for you. Run in your lane. The other part of this is your heart. It's like we get to do things. We don't have to do things. We get to honor God. We get to serve God. We get to be loved and to love God. We get to love people. We can adopt an attitude of I'm not going to be a leader who wants something from you. I'm going to be a leader who wants something for you. It's a game changer. The game changers in this room are the people who will always want something for people and rarely ever want something from people. Well, I asked you to get something today. Don't try to get everything, but hang on because we're going to fly for the next few minutes. How do we do this? We understand that God owns everything. He owns everything. You say, well, no, 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 no. I I own some things. Really? Just stop paying taxes on your house right now. See how long you own it. No, I own own property. Really? Stop paying taxes on it. My friends, you don't own anything. It's like the game of Monopoly. It all goes back in the box when it's over. Aren't you glad you lost an hour of sleep? It's true. God owns everything, and he makes it really clear. You only think you own it because you're paying taxes on it or because you've paid for it. You don't own your house. You don't own your land. You're a steward of everything you have. And if you, it's a false sense of security if you think it's yours. 
He says, I own everything. I own the land. The land is mine. I own the silver. I own the gold. It's mine. I own the animals. I own the cattle. God owns the land. God owns the silver. God owns the gold. He owns the cattle. He owns everything. You get to steward a few things. You have a few years to steward a few things. If you can get that mentality, it's a game changer. If you're greedy, you're going to be miserable because it all goes back in the box. I, I, he controls the birds and the insects. Now, as far as I'm concerned, we could do with a whole lot fewer mosquitoes, right? But he, he's in charge of everything. I got a question about mosquitoes and no seams. I'm going to ask God about the no seams. The no seams are from hell. Hell. <laughs> I need wisdom to come back on me. I, I've been cleaning fish so many times, and those seams are in my head. It just drives me crazy. He not only owns everything, he controls everything. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Do you really think it's yours? I mean, do you really? I, I mean, I think our culture really thinks our stuff is our stuff. Everything belongs. He's allowing you. He puts you in a lane. Some of you are one talent. Some of you are two talent. Some of you are five talent. Doesn't matter what talent you are. How are you doing with your stewardship? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power. Who gave you your brain? Who gave you this incredible ability to learn? Who gave you this position, this opportunity was just this door open in front of you? Who gave that to you? Denise and I drive in some Sundays when I'm not preaching. She likes for me to go to church. We hardly ever get to sit together. We hardly ever ride together, but occasionally we'll come together. And so we'll come about, you know, 9.50 when first service is letting out and you're all coming in. And, and we look at all this and we just look at each other. We go, look at what the Lord has done in spite of us. It's like what God is doing. It's what he wants to do in everyone's life. Strength. The Lord does whatever he pleases. In him are the heavens and the earth and the seas and all their depth. And the Lord directs people's hearts. He's driving you for kingdom purposes. He's moving you. He's tweaking you in that direction. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is like a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. In other words, God's got even the kings. He's directing their paths. The Lord gives godly favor. I don't want to lose my favor. I don't want to lose my anointing. Nobody wants to lose their favor. The problem with greed is you go too far, you lose the favor. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison where this is about Joseph. Everything comes from God. Everything. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. This is David saying, you know what? I'm just, I'm just responding to what you've done in my life. 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Now this one's, this is where the health and wealth gospel people take it and run with it and they go off the chart. But there are three different verses that talk about this. I'm going to read them let you decide what you're going to do with it. But the Lord sometimes transfers wealth from ungodly to godly people. Now why would he do that? So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. This is the story of Laban and Jacob. And Laban was his father-in-law. Laban was a deceitful man, changed Joseph's wages seven times. Finally, all those flocks now got taken away from Laban and given to Joseph. Why? Ecclesiastes, fascinating verse. Chapter Chapter 2, verse 26. To the person that pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. If you please God, will God entrust you with more? I think that's exactly what he's saying. Is there generational wealth that can be handed to you because you live? I think it's exactly what he's saying. I think people lose their wealth. I think God gives it to certain people who can be trusted, who are not, what, greedy. One more. Proverbs says this. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. What do you do with that? Does that mean that God has wealth for you from sinful people? Well, if I were God, where would you put wealth? Would you put it in the hands of the greedy? Or would you put it in the hands of people whose hearts are set apart for you? And does God have more in store for you? You say, well, I've got plenty. What isn't about you never has been about you. It all goes back in the box. The Lord provides for those who seek and obey him. And, and maybe, maybe right now you're in a rough financial season. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe the business has. I, I, I'm not minimizing that. I just, I just know. I just know if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. James 4 talks about that. You draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And the Lord provides. But the eyes of the Lord on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. There's so much fear in our land today. I have zero fear. I have zero fear. My wife is negative fear. Why would we have fear? We know who we are. We know where we're going. We know who's in charge. The gold is his. The silver is his. The land is his. Why is there so much fear in our land today? We should live victorious. We should live in courage and strength. We should be playing to win, not playing not to lose. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then God's going to take care of you and God's going to provide for you. See the ladder on the wall? This is what I've observed now for 38 years as a pastor. Everyone puts their ladder on a wall. 
you're going to put your ladder on a wall. And you know what? You need to climb the ladder. Everybody in here should be getting stronger and better and wiser and more gifted. Everybody in here should be climbing the ladder. You're not going to hear one of those, you know, non-climbing sermons from me. God wants you to grow. God wants you to do great things. Everybody in here should be getting an education. Go to school. Learn all you can. That's climbing the ladder. Everybody should be climbing the ladder. The question is, will you have lived your life and put your ladder on the wrong wall? Why would we put our ladder on the wall that really is only for 70, 80, 90, or 100 years? Why would we put our ladder on that wall? Why wouldn't we put our ladder on the wall that lasts forever? So the point of this morning is this. Your heart only has room for one God. Your heart only has room for one you will have to decide who will sit on the throne. And he is a jealous God, and he wants to be the Lord and the ruler of your life. So will you, if you've got your ladder on the stuff of this world, you got your ladder on the wrong wall? Or, or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've got the ladder exactly where you want it to be. The problem with that ladder is, it doesn't last. Once this life is over, that, does, that goes away. If that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. But the ladder against the kingdom of God, the ladder that says, I will trust and obey, the ladder that says, I will seek first the kingdom of God as righteousness, that ladder, that ladder goes on forever and forever. Dr. Paul Johnson was the um, chairman of the board of Walk Through the Bible. He's now in heaven. But I remember Dr. Paul Johnson would get up at the end of a walk through the Bible conferences and he would talk about the Royal Bank of Heaven. And so he's in the buffet line one day and I'm right there beside him and I said, can you expand on the Royal uh, Bank of Heaven? He never even looked up at me. He's just picking around the potato salad and he says, yes, young man. He said, the only people who don't send money to the Royal Bank of Heaven are people who don't plan on going there. I got my attention, fully got my attention. Your heart has room for one God. Who will it be? Every Sunday we give people opportunities to become Christians. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. Jesus, I give my life to you. We're gonna have prayer partners down front. Um, So let's stand, prayer partners come down front. Maybe you wanna give your life to Christ. But I, I want to pray over you and me because I needed to repent. I needed to repent from some places of greed that I never even saw coming, didn't think were there, but they'd lodged themselves in the back of the heart. And I just want to pray for us. But I want to, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning. Um, let's get rid of greed. Let's get rid of it. It doesn't, it doesn't get us where we want to be. And let's, let's embrace the kingdom of God. And let's climb the ladder, but let's place the ladder on the right wall where there's the royal bank of heaven. 
we come before you and man, this is insidious. This is a tough topic. You're honest with us. You don't want us to be entrapped by creed. You want us to be set free. Set us free. We, we confess multiple kinds of greed and we ask you to remove those but we also ask you then to replace it with hope and with courage and with light and with faith and with truth Lord we want to lean our ladder we want to climb the ladder we want to lean the ladder on the right wall that leads itself toward the royal bank of heaven in your name we pray Amen God bless you. God bless you.